0: Okay, welcome everyone to our morning session in Second Life. Good morning. For those of you in Europe, good good evening. Today I thought I would talk about some of the Criterion criteria by which we use to uh, by which we decide what is the Buddhist teaching and what is not the Buddhist teaching. I gave a talk I think last week or, or not so far in the past about all of the different schools of Buddhism and how in 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 my mind it's really going against the purpose of Buddhism to split up into different groups and that really when you look at all of the different types of Buddhism what they claim to be unique about their school is (coughs) Is actually <coughs> is actually generally not unique to any one school. And in fact, what it seems is that the, each each of the schools, mining the one that I belong to included, um, tends to go to ex- extremes in regards to what they in regards to their specialty. And so rather than having a balanced approach, um, a a Buddhist approach, they have a very specialized approach towards Buddhism, which tends to really miss the point and miss the whole elephant, as I said. So following up on that, I thought it would be of interest to people to know, well, what exactly is a good criterion. Once once we if we accept the idea that we should all just be Buddhist, then how do we know, you know, what is true Buddhism when, when what is not true Buddhism? And it's really not that difficult. We actually have um some guidelines as to what is the Buddhist teaching and what is not. And so today I thought I'd bring up one such list uh, in the tradition that I follow. But I think it's I think there's nobody in any tradition who would who would um be likely to go against the general um, feeling of the, uh, encompassed in these teachings, so it's in Pali. I thought I'd give everyone a treat and um, bring up some Pali so that we can have some uh, original words of the Buddha and sort of get a feel for the language that the Buddha spoke. So probably most of you are not going to be able to understand this, but let's just go through it. <coughs> Atakho Mahapajapati Gotami yena bhakavate nu pasankami. Atakho means at that time Mahapajapati Gotami, the the, the Bikuni, who was a female monk named Gotami. Um, Mahapajapati Gotami. Pajapati means um, Uh, the, sort of like mother. It's an ancient Indian word. And so it could either be used as her name or as an epithet to mean that she was the one who looked after the Buddha when, as he was growing up. Maha just means great. Gotami was her, her clan name or her given name. The Buddha's clan name was also Gotama. So we also always hear about Buddha Gotama. <coughs> Yena bhagavate nupasankami. Where the Blessed One was, there she went up to. It means she went to see the Buddha. is just means it's an epithet for a leader of a religion. And so in Buddhism it means the Buddha. Upasankamitva uh, twa bhakawantang abhiwa de ekamantang adhasi. Having approached the Buddha and Abhi Wadia paid respect to the Buddha means uh, most likely bowed down to the Buddha Ikamantanga si stood to one side or stood in an appropriate place because when when you go to see the buddha there's there's always going to be people attending upon him and uh, coming to ask him questions, coming to listen to what he says. he generally would be surrounded just as all famous teachers um generally are, would be surrounded by people. So she stood to one side. And while well, standing to one side, Ekamantang tita, standing to one side, Mahapachapati Kottami Bhakavantang Eta Dabhocha. She said this, Sadhu uh, me bhante bhakavasankitenadhammante setu. He just says, Sadhu, Sadhu is a word that means good. Many people recognize this. We use it, or it's used in India in the, in the present day to talk about a holy man. And so it has a double meaning here. It means someone who is, who is a good person, a sadhu. And it just means good. So sadhu here means good. She said, it would be good for me, Venerable Sir, if the Blessed One could teach the Dhamma in brief, sankitena in brief. Dhammang is the Dhamma. yamahang bhagavato dhammang sutva eka vupakatha apamata atapini pahitata viharyanti lots of words that are uh, difficult to understand yamahang bhagavato dhammang sutva. so she wants a teaching by which having, having heard the, the dhamma from the Buddha she would be able to go off Alone into seclusion. Eka means one. Wupakata means uh, to, to go out, to in seclusion. Apamata means uh, to be diligent. She would be diligent and put out effort uh, in or and dwell, um, giving up, abandoning the defilements. So, so basically speaking, she wants a brief teaching, and, um, and just just going through this, we can understand. Okay, what is she asking? She's asking for for the c- most concise teaching that the Buddha can give her, and the Buddha gives her something very interesting, and this is the subject of the talk today. Uh, the Buddha says ye gotami dhamme ime dhamma he says whatever dhammas, whatever teachings gotami you understand or you know to be when you know of, of, of those teachings that number one Saragaya samvatantinoviragaya. They are for the purpose of developing uh, lust, not for the purpose of giving up lust. Sanyogaya samvatantinovi sanyogaya. They are for the purpose of becoming attached, not for the purpose of giving up attachment. Or for the purpose of bondage, not for the purpose of freedom from bondage. achayaya sammatantino apachayaya they are the, for the purpose of building up not for the purpose of, uh, of, of giving up mahichataya samatantina apichataya they are for the purpose of great wanting Having of, of great, great desires, having many desires, not for the purpose of being of, of little desire, or having few desires, fewness of wishes. Asantuttiya sammuttanti no asantuttiya. There for the purpose of discontent, not for the purpose of contentment. Sankanikaya sammuttanti no pavivikaya. There for the purpose of. Um, Co- congregation, or society, socializing, not for the purpose of seclusion. Kosa jaya samvatantino viriyarambaya for the purpose of laziness, not for the purpose of putting out effort. Dubharataya samvatantino subharataya for the purpose of being difficult to uh, support. Not for the purpose of being easy to support. What do you think? Are these things likely to be the Dhamma of the Buddha? No, the Buddha says Uh You can be sure that un—what do you say? Um, totally, they are totally on the side of. Uh, you, you can be sure completely. You can hold. Um, Perfectly to be true that this is not the, the Dhamma, this is not the Vinaya, this is not the teaching of the teacher, of our teacher. And then he goes on to say the exact opposite. He said, if those teachings that are um, for the purpose of Giving up lust and so on, and not for the purpose of take of of having lust, of gaining lust uh, and so on, then you know these are the teaching of the Buddha and, and this is a r- I think a really good list, um, something that we can always use to, k- to to verify for ourselves and to not get caught up in particulars, that really the Buddha's teaching is not something. High and mighty, or high and what do you say? um, It's not something esoteric or hard to understand, it's not something that is philosophical or theoretical, it's something quite simple. It's just generally totally against um, the way we look at the world, it's totally against our ordinary way of life, diametrically opposed to. our approach to existence. So it's not something, it shouldn't be thought of as something that you have to read or have to study or have to spend years and years just to understand it. The years and years should be spent in practice in trying to perfect it. So what do we have here? We have altogether eight criteria by which we can tell whether something is the Buddha's teaching. Saragaya sammatanti no viragaya. The Buddha's teaching is for the purpose of giving up lust, for the purpose of giving up all desire. And sim- si- si- a simple explanation of this is that anytime you desire something, it it means that you're not happy with things as they are. It's it's a very simple fact that desire is basically saying to yourself that. Given two realities, the reality in front of us and a reality that's not yet in front of us, the latter is more preferable. And it's a, so. It's a basic state of discontent. It's it's at its root. It's basically um, a state of suffering, a state of 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 discontent, of dissatisfaction with things as they are, and this is totally contrary to the buddha's teaching because the buddha teaches us to find contentment in the here and now to to, to accept this reality or to find the way by w- the means by which reality becomes the preferred state or becomes a totally peaceful, totally blissful state where there is no need no hopes or dreams or wishes and especially no lust Uh, lust is, is, I suppose, one of those things that that is on the extreme end. It's the most basic teaching. In, in Indian religion, this was widely accepted, not only in Buddhism and not, not even um, something that the Buddha came up with himself. Even before the Buddha was born, even, there were teachings on giving up lust. It was agreed that the passions of the sense, attachment to sights and sounds and smells and tastes and feelings, were not a religious path, were not a a spiritual path. They were not something that could lead one to spiritual contentment and in fact it was agreed upon through the various practices that were in place that there was a much greater happiness and peace that could be found by giving these things up. That this was the root of addiction. It's the same as a a a drug addict to be addicted to um, sensual pleasures in fact, it is a drug addiction because sensual according to science it's 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 clearly understood in um in this day and age that w- what occurs when we when we receive um a pleasurable stimulus at one of the senses is a chemical reaction in the brain. there's a release of of certain chemicals dopamine and and, and whatever else is involved with the the pleasure sen- pleasure receptor um, uh, system and uh, that that leads to a pleasurable feeling it's a drug that gives us happiness it does that for a short time and then goes away and leaves the receptors leaves the receptors in a uh, less than optimal state, so that the next time we receive the stimulus, it re- there's a there's a release of less of the chemical, and the receptors are are not able to uh, not able to process as much, and so on, and so the system the system is not able to bring as much pleasure, m- as much happiness as the first time, and so on and so on, and so it leads to more work for less pleasure. It's it's a it's, indi- it's a, a drug addiction when we talk about um sex when we when we talk about even even just ordinary m- sensual pleasures at the very base it's it's a it's a drug addiction so this is the this is the the most coarse of the the defilements i guess you could say the the most coarse of our addictions that we have to get rid of it's one of the most widely accepted in religious traditions and i'd say the problem is not um An agreement on giving them up the problem is once you 've given them up, how to then um, you know overcome the drug addiction because as we as we can see, many people who for instance become celibate wind up repressing the emotions, and as a result um, you know th- there there are quite dire consequences to to repression the the eventual explosion of of desire, you know, the release in other ways that can often be quite perverted, perverse. But at any rate, the Buddhist teaching is for the purpose of giving this up. It's for the purpose of seeing the negative side of this and seeing that in actual fact, lust and the happiness, the pleasure that comes from it, is not sustainable. It's not really intrinsically positive in any way. It's a feeling that arises and and ceases. There's nothing bad about it. And I think really the problem that comes from, from religious people is they start to feel guilty when they have these feelings. They, they hear that people like the Buddha gave, gave these things up and so they feel guilty when they have these, these feelings arise rather than actually um, acknowledging them and coming to understand the feelings. But at any rate we can understand that any teaching that is for the purpose of of giving rise to lust, there are are even some religious teachings that encourage people to give rise to passion, um, to give rise to uh, states of 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 sensual intoxication. In fact there are quite a a many religions. From what I've seen um, visiting and taking part in other religious traditions you can see that a lot of the ordinary service is geared towards sensual stimulus. I would say even in Buddhism there's a lot of this. Uh, in, in sort of cultural Buddhism where the means of, of attracting people's attention is sensual stimulus. Uh, the, the encouragement of, of this sort of addiction and the sensual the, the stimulation of the, the addiction system in the brain and th- so this, this clearly is not the Buddhist teaching, it's something that we should get straight for ourselves that the practice of the Buddhist teaching has to be very clearly for the purpose of giving this up. The second one is that Buddhism is for the purpose of freedom from bondage, not for the purpose of bondage, becoming bound. So obviously, in our life we we we, in a worldly sense, this is easy to see the difference between um, being bound and being being unbound. In our lives, we become we become bound by so many things. We become bound by our work, bound by our debts, bound by other people. We get caught up in so many things, so much um, frivolity we get caught up in the world very easily but in in spirituality we we also get caught up in this as well we become bound to rites and rituals we become bound to uh, to our duties and to our our station we can even become bound to certain practices um, we get we get caught up in the idea of being this or being that sanyoga which means to, to be bound this is why I I, I stressed last time about um, you know not not identifying as this type of Buddhist or that type of Buddhist that we follow the Buddhist teaching should really be enough and we understand that the Buddhist teaching is not to become anything, not to be, be, be bound to anything to say that I am this often when talking with with Buddhist meditators, there still is this um, re- attachment to a tradition or attachment to a teacher and there's an immediate judgment when we hear someone else practicing in a certain way and rather than using the Buddha's principles to to say why we believe this is better than that, we cling instead to our tradition, and everything is seen through the the lens of of, of that tradition. When uh, when I'm talking to to Buddhist meditators, they immediately begin to repeat the things that their teacher has said, rather than actually, you know, looking at things from the point of view, view of the Buddha, from the point of view of the Buddha's teaching. It's very difficult to, to speak with such people, uh, with these sort of, sorts of people. They tend to just regurgitate whatever their teacher has said and um, are unwilling to accept the fact that other traditions might actually be of, of great benefit or actually have um, a, a viable practice for the purpose of realizing the truth. When we practice Buddhism, we're simply trying to see reality for what it is. We have right here in front of us certain phenomena that are rising and ceasing in our body and our mind. We're not interested in being anything or being attached to anything. There's no need to call yourself Buddhist. There's certainly no need to call yourself this or that type of Buddhist. Even in the tradition that I follow, there are different different, um, nikayas or groups, and these groups now don't. Uh, talk with each other. I put a picture up of that one of my old students sent me about th- of her ordination. She's ordained as a as a female monk. I put it up on my website, and a monk from from Europe sent me a, an email saying, "Don't," he said, "Bante, don't please don't get involved in this schism." And. Uh, so I wrote back and said, well, you know, these people look m- quite harmonious to me. There doesn't seem to be any schism going on at all. They they were happy and smiling and there were monks and nuns. There's about 20 of them in the picture. I said, you know, y- honestly, you sound more like a schismatic to me. And we we cling to this. You know, they, they have this idea that this is not correct and that is not correct for, for really no reason, no purpose, and without really even thinking. And so, without thinking, they create. We create barriers. We cling to things, and we we compartmentalize reality into our way, your way, right way, wrong way. When all the Buddha was really trying to teach us is to understand reality. Something that we should we should we should think about, rather than clinging to principles and ideas. Sure, as best we can, we should try to keep rules and, and, and the regulations of the community. There's no question about that, but it's, it, it goes beyond that. And we cling to you know, my practice, your practice, r- mine is right, and this idea that our teachers are are perfect, and so on. Therefore, they must be right all the time. Now the Buddha said we're not to cling, and when you see something that leads to clinging, that's not the Buddha's teaching. The third one is for building up and not for, for taking down. Buddhism is, is not for building anything up, not for creating anything, not for becoming anything. We don't want to be become this or become that. We don't want to become a, a Buddhist or a Buddhist teacher or even become a monk. I always looked at becoming a monk, for, for example, is really about more about what you aren't than what you are the Buddha called it giving up, giving up the house life, going forth, leaving behind. This is a, a good example because in the Buddha's teaching we don't want to become anything. We don't have any desire to become anything. We don't want to um, build up in our in our minds identification with anything. We're not trying to build a Buddhist empire or a Buddhist, what do you call, um, we're not trying to spread the Buddhist teaching to everyone or so on or or turn religion, turn Buddhism into this um, missionary religion or so on. In fact, we're trying to take down, we're trying to take down much of who we are. We're trying to give up our identifications with this and that, with, with who we are and, and with our status in life, with ideas like class, social class, and um, gender and so on. We're, we're, we're trying to, in our minds, give up the attachment to self. We're not trying to build up anything. We don't have the idea that we want to become reborn again as this or that. We don't have the idea that in this life we want to become famous or rich or even become enlightened in In meditation practice, it's very easy for people to get attached to this idea that we're going to become enlightened, as though enlightenment was were, thi- were this this uh, attainment, this badge that you get to wear. Oh, you've achieved something. You've become enlightened. Actually, I mean, enlightenment is, is is all about what you aren't. An enlightened being is not greedy, is not angry, is not deluded. An enlightened being has given up, hasn't taken anything on. And so in our meditation practice, it's, it's very important, extremely important that we give up this notion of trying to attain anything. We're not trying to reach some state where the mind is perfectly calm all the time, never thinking anything, never, uh, never feeling any pain. We're trying to give up all expectations, all wants and needs, all all attachments whatsoever. We don't need to become anything. It's more of a giving up of the path than a taking on of any path. Giving up of all paths. The path of the Buddha is to be here and now. To stop going, to stop coming. Buddha said in Nibbana there is no going and no coming. Nibbana isn't somewhere else. Enlightenment isn't a place that we go to. It's when we stop going and stop becoming. The fourth one, Mahichataya Samwadantinoa But Buddha said those things that are for the purpose of having of wanting many different things, not for the purpose of wanting little. I think this this goes along with much of what I've already said. I'm not gonna go in much detail here. But it's just another reminder that our wants are really the problem. I mean we have these in our minds at, at every moment. We want things in our daily life. Every situation in our lives becomes a want. Wanting this, wanting that. Chasing after this, chasing after that. We can't even sit still, we can't be happy with things as they are because of our many wants. Buddhism is to be a fewness of wishes, to have few wants, to not want a lot, to be able to uh, live with live without. And this is a very practical teaching in terms of our for instance our necessities, when we're not able to acquire the things that we would normally fe- uh, feel necessary, we need this and need that to be able to live with, with little to be able to live a simple life, a content life. And this is number five so these go together. Number five is um, if the teaching is for discontent and not for contentment then it's not the Buddhist teaching. Number 6 Number 6 is rather important that I think is often missed in 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 Buddhist practice or in spiritual practice is the need to the need for solitude the need to take time off You hear a lot about how important it is to meditate in a group and uh, how important it is to have to, to to sit uh, sit together in a group when you meditate, and I, I think it's really n- really a s- it's actually a sign of of the importance to not be in a group. When when we practice in a group, it's obviously much easier because your mind is constantly being reminded by the people around you, reminded to 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 focus, to not get, dis- not become distracted. And so it's, it's quite easy in that sense, but the problem with it is, and you can see this if you ever take the time to go off on your own, is that when you're in a group, your mind is constantly constantly going out to the people in, in the room around you. You're not actually as focused as you think you, you, you are. We, we think it's so easy to sit in a group because you're you're you constantly think of the people around you and you feel kind of embarrassed if you slouch or if your mind wanders or if you think bad thoughts and so on but there's actually i would say m- far less focus when you're together than when you're alone and when you're alone you can actually see how your mind works much better because there's nothing for your mind to cling to there's no external phenomenon, no external stimulus. I think it goes without saying that in the Buddhist teaching it's not for the purpose of socializing and sitting around talking and meeting up with friends. And this is a very important teaching in, in in and of itself that when we practice the Buddhist teaching we're not... It's very important that we, we can give up our need to socialize—that actually, it's quite a detriment to our practice to to be addicted to friendships and uh, association and, and going out to parties and and chatting and socializing. But a, Bu- a Buddhist meditator should be content with solitude. There is no no replacement for. Being alone, spending time with your own mind, because it's really the the only time that we can really be true to ourselves, where we don't have to put up a front and pretend to be something. Even when we're meditating, when we meditate in a group, so often we so often we put on a front, right We don't want. Other people to think that we're a bad meditator. So we sit up straight and <coughs> we we put on a front f- even when we're meditating. But when we're alone we, we give this all up and we're able to be true and and completely with with our with ourselves, not focusing on anything else. Number seven is that the Buddha's teaching is for for putting out effort, not for being lazy. it's important when we meditate we're we're not just meditating to feel peaceful and calm, to sit down and and to get something. Meditation in a Buddhist sense is a work. The, The word we use is kamatana. It means to focus your mind, put your mind to work. When we practice meditation we're not going to simply just sit there and, and fall asleep. It's not just a relaxation time. It's not our vacation time, our time away from life. Meditation is for the purpose of clearing the mind, for developing the mind. I think it's very easy to become lazy in our practice where we practice maybe once a day, twice a day. We not not really developing our minds, but simply falling back into a state of peace and calm. It's important when we meditate that we actually examine our state of mind, that we're looking at it and trying to develop our minds to uh, become a better person, to, to, to clear our minds, to go deeper and deeper, and to understand our minds clearer and clearer, to understand reality. We have to examine ourselves when we practice. Are we just practicing to feel states of peace and calm and and be content with that? Or are we actually learning something? I would say if, if you're practicing correctly, every time you sit down, you should learn something new about yourself. This is really a test as to whether you actually meditated. Meditation is the contemplation, the examination of oneself. And number eight, to be easy to support, not difficult to support. This one, uh, well, taking it taking it twofold. first in, in terms of our daily lives, I would say it, it's very easy to become very difficult to support. Mo- for most of us, we are quite difficult to support. We need so many things. Our minds are constantly searching out, seeking out. And so it's like looking after a little child. Looking after ourselves is like looking after a little child. Our wants and our needs and our nagging and complaining. It's very difficult for us to, for instance, find a a good position for meditation. We often need the perfect position. and, and, And so rather than Simply sitting on the floor, we need a cushion, and the cushion's not enough. We need a backrest, and then the backrest not enough. We need cushions under our legs, and and a pillow behind our neck, and so on. We live our lives in, in a state of general discontent, not not being able to stick with the here and the now. Even right now, you can... Examine yourself. When things arise in the mind, when things arise in the the world around you, you're just sitting here listening. Maybe suddenly you start to feel pain in the legs or it's too hot or there's an itching sensation in the body. Maybe it's been half an hour already and it's starting to get boring. The mind starts to wander, starts to think of other things. You can see the mind is quite difficult to take care of. It's it's not easily amused. It's not easily entertained. It always needs something new and exotic, something fun and interesting. It can't be content just being here, just being now. can't be content with reality. So the Buddha said the Buddha's teaching is for the purpose of being easy to take care of. We don't need other people to take care of us, we don't need so many things, we don't need constant attention, constant gratification, that we can accept reality for what it is, that we we only need a certain amount of food to to eat, simple clothes to wear, we're able to put up with um, anything that arises. So I, I thought I'd point this list out to everybody and let you know that there are general principles by which we can say what is the Buddhist teaching. So that was a list of those things that aren't. Just for completeness, here's the rest of it. And just to recapitulate, to recapitulate, to go over it again. Those things that are for the purpose of giving up lust, those things that are for the purpose of giving up bondage, those things that are for the purpose of, of not collecting or not building up oneself, those things that are for the purpose of being a fewness, of, of uh, having few wants or few wishes, those things that are the, for the purpose of contentment, for the purpose of seclusion, for the purpose of putting out effort and for the purpose of being easy to support. You can be sure, O Gotami, that this is the Dhamma, this is the Vinaya, this is the teaching of our teacher. Okay, so that's the Dhamma for today. Thank you all for staying the course. If anyone has any questions, I'm happy to take them. Otherwise, thanks for coming.